in October. Oh my, is that amazing? I don't even know where the year went. 2023, it's just come and gone almost. We're almost to the end of our Bible reading for the year, right? How's everyone doing? Keeping strong? <laughs> Good. Yeah, praise God. That's exciting, isn't it? For a change. I love it. Oh, Before we start today, I wanted to sing a song with you. Um, sing with me this morning, Amazing Grace. We're going to talk about grace today. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, love you, Lord. We give you praise today. Thank you for your beautiful grace, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your love towards us. Meet us in this place today. Touch hearts. Bless those that need a special touch today. Oh, we just give you praise and thank you so much. Thank you so much. He's so good. And I thought of that song, and I'm, we don't have to sing this one because <laughs> I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary, I believe in an old rugged cross. And there's a part of it that says, and when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll still cling to the old rugged cross. Praise God. I just was singing, not necessarily the amazing grace on my drive here, but you can put praise God, praise God, just praising God, just with that beautiful song and just He's so good. He's just so good. Praise God. Today we're actually on the last um, lesson of the parables of Jesus in your um, study guide. We've looked at the sower, the parable of the sheep, the parable of the laborers, and today we're looking at the parable of the banquet. And so we're going to get right into it today. This lesson is about God's grace to us, to mankind Everything that happened from the very beginning with Adam's first breath after he made man until the death of Jesus Christ and onward is a great part of God's glorious plan of redemption for mankind. His great grace towards his creation, us. Praise God. So we're continuing in the series, The Parables of Jesus, and we're going to read today in Matthew 22, verse 8, which is our key verse, and it says, Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. I'm just going to stop there and ask you the icebreaker question today. And I thought about it and put a lot of thought into it. Um, what does grace or the word grace mean to you? Shows his loving kindness. Amen. Yes. Grace. How is grace, Sister Belinda? 
Yeah, something that comes to me that I don't necessarily deserve, right? Yes, sis. Good fortune. Yes, brother. Oh, I thought, brother, you know. Anyone else? What does it mean, Brother Mike? Everything in the kingdom of God gives you the power, the ability to fulfill what God has for you in the kingdom of God. Right? Praise God. Amen. It's everything. Grace. Grace. Anyone else want to share what grace is to them, Sister Phoebe? Mm. Yes. That's very, yes. Amen. Amen. That's, that's beautiful, really. Anyone else want to share what God's grace is to them or what the word grace means to you? I have a ton of stuff on God's grace. Yes, brother. Yeah, the undeserved favor of God, yes. Um, God's grace is definitely, we, just, we define it as this undeserved favor of God, right? And it's something that we cannot earn. We can't work to get to God's grace because it's something that God freely gives. So it's nothing that we have to do which is amazing. Um, and in the book, I, I didn't like the word undeserving. God's grace, it says, is for the undeserving. And I thought, you know what? There's not a soul that he created that he would say is undeserving um, because he's reaching for all. The grace is for all, for all souls. And so the truth in our study today for my our lives is to accept God's grace and live right, live righteously, um, and that's something that we choose to do. That's something we, it falls on our shoulders to do. We get to do that. Um, and God's grace is based entirely upon who he is and who we are in him. Praise God. Uh, God gives us grace because he wants to. Amen. John 1:14 says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace. You can't get any less. It's, he's full of grace. That is our God. That is who we serve. He is our heavenly Father, the Redeemer, lover of our souls. That is who we get to live this life and partner and fellowship and covenant with. Um, I read this sign, and it said this. I still believe in amazing grace. 
that there is power in the blood, that he walks with me and talks with me, that because he lives, I can face tomorrow, all because of the old rugged cross. You know, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin, all of it. I mean, we can think of so many beautiful songs that people have written in times of crises and trauma and hardship, which is amazing to me. And they come out with these beautiful, profound songs. And a lot of them are based in Song of Solomon or from the Word of God that give us inspiration, that give us hope thousands of years later, which is amazing to me. God's Word is alive. It's um, that grace that God gives us, that good, the good things. Grace is when God gives us good things that we don't deserve. Mercy is when he spares us from bad things we do deserve. Blessings are when he is generous with both. Praise God. God is good all the time. Amen. Um, we're going to look in scripture today at our story of the parable of the banquet, and you're going to find it in Matthew chapter 22, starting with verse 1. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and set forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came to see the guest, he saw that a man which had not on a wedding garment, and he said to him, listen, he said, friend, how comest thou not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. That is our story today in Matthew 22. And there's so much in those passages of scripture, so much. We're going to concentrate today, we're going to look at all of it, but on just throughout, weaving throughout the whole parable, God is a gracious and merciful God. Jesus tells a story about the king who prepares a banquet, sending those servants to bring the invited guests, but many are making excuses and they, they say they cannot come. The king then invites everyone to come, and these people accept the banquet represents the free gift of God, his salvation, 
made available to all of us, to all mankind. The invitation to the banquet is for everybody on planet Earth. Everyone, everyone. However, just like today, many people will still make excuses to receive and hear and even accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Perhaps it is money. Perhaps it is responsibilities, the merchant in the story. Perhaps it is relationships that stand in the way. But the invitation is for everyone. However, we are the ones who have to accept the invitation. We have to accept it. Those who declined the invitation to the banquet, or we could say today for the gospel, have placed a value on something they consider more valuable than the gospel. God help us in our day-to-day life that we don't put more value on anything that is greater than our eternal soul's resting place, our relationship and covenant with Jesus Christ, and where we desire to spend eternity. Amen. Uh, The highways and hedges refer to the giving of the gospel to the Gentiles following the rejection of the Jews. I like this. Interestingly enough, Jesus did not teach that the possessions were the problem that was incompatible for them to make heaven their home, but rather their huge affection for the things of this earth disqualified them from entering heaven. It leaves a person infatuated with possessions with no desire for the kingdom things, for the things of God. Help us, Lord, that our infatuation with what God has created on this planet and given us to use for resources doesn't consume us to a point where it is so we've made it an idol. And then the things of God are not as clear and wonderful and heaven, our eternal home in heaven doesn't seem to be that exciting anymore. God help us. You know, this is what he was trying to teach them. Um, Each one of us has to allow the things that we have been given on this planet Earth to become less important, subordinate to him and his righteousness. A heart that is absorbed with earthly affection cannot be given to God completely. It just can't. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve both. Um, We can't then lift up our eyes to heaven because there's just no desire to do so because we're so consumed with something else. Luke 14.15 says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one. We get to, when we say eat, we're going to eat of the gospel. We're going to live the gospel. We're going to breathe the gospel. We're going to walk the gospel. We are the gospel. (laughs) We are the living word. You and I together are the living word. 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Praise God. And I realize throughout the series, I think I share that scripture every Sunday because it's just so, 
I guess I'm just so awed at how God is not willing that any should perish. This dinner is prepared for this marriage. All the unthinkable blessings from God, the promise of the gospel, we're going to 2023, the promise of the gospel, covenant with him, pardon of our sins, favor of God, the peace of God, access to the throne of grace, having his spirit indwelling in us, hope of eternal life. That feast was made. It was made for rejoicing. Isn't that what banquet feasts are made for? It was made for laughter. It was made for fullness. And that's exactly what the gospel is designed for us. It's made for all of those things. It's made for fellowship. It's made for joy. You know that I get joy when I think about what he's done for me? In the God, I get joy when I think about what the Lord has done for me. Um, Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Praise God. No matter how long we've been serving God, joy should be present and alive in our lives. And I'm just here to say that if it's not present in your soul, we need to go back to the beginning. Repent. It's not just a one-time thing. Repentance is this ongoing work in our soul. Um, praise God. Isaiah says 30:15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Godly sorrow, the Bible tells us, brings repentance and leads to a repentant heart. And guess what? It leaves no regrets. No regrets. You sometimes see that on the bumper stickers of cars. I wish they would just literally live with no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. The wedding feast, that joyful time. Remember that first miracle that Jesus did? It was at a wedding. It was at a wedding feast. It was to make plentiful provisions for that feast. Plentiful. We're going somewhere with this. <laughs> Look at Revelation 19.7. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, which is represented as a church, hath made herself ready. We are the church. We want to be ready, make ourselves ready. And in this parable of the royal feast, the feast was prepared by the king. I'm not saying he prepared every little hors d'oeuvre. I'm saying he prepared it with all of his resources. All of the things that he has at his disposal. The favor of the king was upon the feast. The blessing of the king was upon the feast. Why wouldn't everyone not want to attend? Why? I mean... If I was invited to the royal wedding in England, ooh, if I the oh, <laughs> we won't even go there. <laughs> um, the guests are called and they're bidden to the wedding. They're invited, and they get to meet the bridegroom. Oh, the guests are the guests are called upon. They are persuaded to come. They are offered food. <laughs> We persuade in 2023 
You and I persuade hungry souls to the gospel. We beseech them to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. We persuade others, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have to do this with love, gentleness, respect. And our lives should exemplify Christian characteristics of virtue, truthfulness, graciousness, love, kindness, all the things we have in the word of God. And in some workplaces like ours, we have classes. They're called um, the totally responsible person and teaching in a non-Christian way how to be nice. Be nice to people. (laughs) Seriously, I'm not kidding you. They have classes. We have the word of God. (laughs) It sounds hilarious, doesn't it? But it really is. We have God's word. It shows us how to live. It tells us literally what our spirit should be. It tells us what our attitude should be. It tells us what our attitude should be in the morning when we get up. It tells us what our attitude should be at nighttime when we go night-night. It tells us everything. Uh, You know, Lord, think of that song. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I humbly do my part to win that soul to thee. We, church, are the living word. We are. No matter what, and this is really good for, and I just want to encourage you, if you're in a position, whether it's your workplace or you're retired or you're at home, no matter what your occupation, you can persuade souls to Jesus Christ. When I stayed at home for many years and did not work, my job was, I was a housekeeper. You know, I made meals. I cleaned the house. I did the laundry. I went shopping. I paid the bills. I picked up the kids from school. I never felt like I wasn't doing God's work because I was doing God's work, raising the children, taking care of my husband, who is the breadwinner. This was God's work. This is God's work. I never felt less of a Christian because I was, but I feel that there is this coming into where people think that, you know what, you're not doing anything for God if you're just doing the laundry for your family. That is a lie from hell. You are serving God. We serve God in whatever we do at all times. We do it as unto the Lord. Our work is for him. There's nothing that's less significant or greater. It's all for him. Our lives are for him. The natural man discerns not and therefore desires not the things of the spirit. If, like in the parable, repeating the call will move us in our souls, behold, the spirit saith come and the bride saith come. Let him that heareth say come let him that is a thirst come. Are we still thirsting after God? Is there that hunger in, in your soul, that hunger that literally will keep you up a little bit at night because there's just something, I gotta, I gotta get it. I don't quite understand it. I need to study more. It's almost like when God gives you those uh, thoughts of scripture, I would, I kind of get into it like, I'm going to get into it like if I'm going to teach this to somebody, 
how would I study and get into this? I want to know. I want to know about it. I want. What is he talking about? Where is it coming from? What's the setting? Just you know, it's so exciting to get into it. And then I have a great sounding board. My husband is amazing. We have a lot of great theological discussions, and it really is true. A friend sharpens a friend. Iron sharpeneth iron. It's so good. So if you need that in your life, text one of your brothers or sisters. Hey, this scripture is amazing. What do you think about? It's just, it will be amazing. God is good. The concern for our souls is when there is no hunger for the presence of God. That's a concern for our souls. And it's a pretty clear indication that something's wrong in our spiritual lives because hunger in the natural is a basic instinct. I wanted to ask, how many days does it take with no food before you become hungry? I mean, seriously. Or how many meals? <laughs> how many, okay, how many hours does it take? How many hours does it take? Um, and there is actually, you get into fasting, and if you, I, I, I don't do this anymore, but you get into fasting, if you, you can get into a place where you're not hungry at all anymore. You just, you're not hungry. Yeah. Um, all the preparation has been made for this banquet feast. All. Is there any room for doubt that the Lord is still calling and bidding for us, that he's got it prepared? Those guests were invited. They would not come. It's the same reason today why sinners will not come to Christ, or we will not turn from our stubbornness back to Christ. It's not because they cannot or we cannot. It's rather that they will not and we will not. It's our choice. We decide to do this life and this covenant, this relationship with Jesus Christ. They made light of the invitation. I mean, they made light of it. They thought that it wasn't worth coming for. That's so scary and sad. Making light of salvation, Jesus Christ, still happens. It's still today. But if they have not heard, some have not heard. And some choose just not to hear. Some choose not to. They were careless with their eternal resting place for their souls. And we can get that mindset also if we are not in the spirit. They were not concerned. They were careless. They minded more about the things that they were concerned about. Um, Whatever they were into at that time, that's what was most important. The inhabitants of the city refused to go to the feast. The servants of the king were sent then to the highways, basically the byways to then include the Gentile nation, because the Jews were the ones that were first asked, right? And then the Gentiles, which we are the Gentiles. They gathered together all, all, as many as they found, all that they found so many that the guest chamber was filled. When the, praise God, when the king came to see the guest and bid them welcome who had come, those who had come prepared, um, and to turn out those who came not prepared. Some did not have on the wedding garment. The wedding garment can be considered many things in respects to the parable, but 
really a condition of our heart and how we live our lives for God. Um, Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in the Spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Praise God. The king at the wedding feast greeted the one who did not have the wedding garment on and started with this. It's amazing to me. Friend, friend, how comest thou hither not having the wedding garment? The wedding garment symbolizes that willingness of the invited guest to show honor both to the king and his son to dress appropriately. Um, I just love how he referred to him as friend. And perhaps that guest was startled by the king saying, friend. Perhaps he was startled because he knew he was not dressed appropriately for the wedding to honor the king. He knew. There's no doubt in my mind that he knew. But the guest was like, silence. And you know what? I think the king knew at that moment his attitude and his because there was nothing said. When the king knew his heart was not upright, showing dishonor to the bridegroom, this was a disgrace to the guest, and therefore the question, how comest thou hither? We're talking about God's grace today, his amazing grace. We're told that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the eyes of the Lord. That God's grace for Joseph gave him the strength to persevere allowing him to one day say to his brethren, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Moses doubted God pretty much about everything. <laughs> Yet God graciously guided him, gave him help. Israel as a nation, oh my goodness, repeatedly rebelled against God. And yet God graciously rescued them repeatedly. <laughs> so many of the pages of time that we go through have been God's grace rescuing his people. We look at, I think about David. David, he lusted, he stole, he lied, he killed, yet God saw his heart and loved him. And God bestowed grace upon David. David's a really good example of God's unmerited favor. A key in David's life, though, like our lives, is that he turned from his sin and repented. Thank God. And God gave him favor. That's grace. That's God's grace. And no one, no one is deserving of God's grace, yet he gives it to us. Praise God. And that's God's grace. You can go through each book of the Bible and see God's grace in every book, starting in Genesis. You know, for this universally wicked world, giving grace, grace. We have grace 
trusting in Jesus Christ. John 1.17 tells us that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Praise God. God's grace is given to all, but not all choose to receive it. And just the latter part of this morning, I wanted to say, okay, well, how can we be greater recipients of God's grace? And I'm just looking towards James chapter 4. I love the book of James, verses 6 through 10. And it reads this, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace, grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. God gives grace to the humble. And Jesus emphasized the importance of humility over and over. But we can take one example in the Beatitudes, the beginning where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. May the Lord help us to build our Christian character through our prayer and the word, the word of God. Um, and I saw this little thing. It says, what if we treated the word of God like we treat our cell phones? And it was kind of interesting. I looked at it and it said, we would carry it with us everywhere. If we forgot it, we'd go back for it. If we'd check our messages many times through the day, um, we would use it when we have an emergency, and we would spend several hours with it each week. Is that amazing? <laughs> I mean, think about it. I'm thankful that I've downloaded, and if you haven't, you probably have um, many versions of the Bible, Bible devotionals, reading your Bible, different versions, different plans, and that is a help and a blessing. It took me many years to use that phone for any of that. When I first started at the hospital, I literally carried a Bible around, and it, it became really heavy to carry around. I know that sounds funny, but... And then my coworker was using his phone for his Bible apps, and I was like, okay, I'll try it. <laughs> I really do like it now, because it's so much lighter to carry in everything. I have different versions available to me. It's like all right there in this small, small space, which is amazing. God... God gives grace to the humble. Pride is the opposite of humility. We're the ones who have to submit and or surrender to God. We are the ones. No one else can do it for us. And that just comes right into like repentance, repent of our sin, which is pride. <laughs> um, humility leads us to do the right thing. It leads us to obedience James tells us, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness uh, and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Your, your own selves. Goes on, he says, we must resist the devil, be sober, vigilant, because your adversary 
The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. John, 1 John 2, 15 and 16 tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Ah, yikes. And this grace that God's given us is not a license to sin. It's not a license to do wrong. The grace that we have been given freely has freed us from sin. We are no longer living in sin. We draw nigh to God, like James says. Draw nigh. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this process is continual. It never stops until we take our last breath. It, can, it continues. If we confess he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we must purify our hearts. We must. The wisest man on earth once said, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Springs of life, the Hebrew phrase literally translates, from the heart are the outflowings or outgoings of life. The picture is that your heart is like a stream that continually flows out to influence people around you that you come into contact with continually. We, we, we are the living word. We are the Bible representation of Christ to a dying world. That's what we are. We are ambassadors to him, to an inheritance. First Peter 3, and I'm going to close with the scripture, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept from the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need by, I'm sorry, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perish, F, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Because we look forward to this day, Peter said. He said, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep, your, keep sober in the spirit. And fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. At the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's grace is amazing. Absolutely. 
It didn't cost us anything, but it cost Christ everything. While we were sinners, he died for us. And we have a great responsibility and opportunity to live in God's great grace. God bless you all today. Let's enjoy worship and enjoy Sunday service. Praise God. God bless you.